Welcome back to the Cock and Ball Pod, a weekly look at all things Spurs in the time it takes you to walk from Seven Sisters to White Hart Lane. I'm Tom, aka Fan, your Chief Constable for tonight. Uh, with me, we have a man who demands discipline, our very own Hastings like the battle. It's Ash. Good afternoon. Evening, even. How are you doing, Tom? I'm good, thank you. Uh, and alongside him tonight is our very own Carmichael, cold and vindictive. It's Jules. Good evening, mate. How are we doing? <laughs> uh, I'm very good. Uh, Jim, our fourth man tonight, he's, he's missing in the line of duty. Uh, so he won't be here, but just tell us free to keep it going. Uh, anyway, after the disappointment of the cup final, we're back to winning ways. Four yes, four nil. Uh, we're at home against <laughs> already relegated Sheffield United. Uh, we're really starting to suck on diesel now, Ash. Yeah, it's amazing what happens when you turn up to a football game actually trying to play football, isn't it? Yeah, it's <laughs> we've, good just, <laughs> we've just got so used to just turning up and hoping not to lose. <laughs> it's just amazing. <laughs> um, yeah, that no, is great. And for, I mean, yeah, let's get it out of the way. Sheffield United were absolute dross. That's one of the worst teams I've seen in a long the- time. <laughs> They yeah. are absolutely shocking. It is the massive asterisk next to anyone who pumps them this year is like, yeah, they, they are a championship did team we, playing in the Prem. Did we fail to beat them last year? Because they, they should have won at the lane, but they had that ridiculous VAR call, didn't they? I can't yeah, I, I think we then, we lost at Bramall Lane last season, mm. I think. Yeah, uh, yeah, that was. I think I'm pretty sure that was a Mourinho game. That was pretty miserable. Um, they still try to play as well as they did last season. It just it just hasn't worked whatsoever. They cannot score a goal for Toffee. They're so bad at not scoring. It's it's laughable, but you don't laugh because you just feel sorry for them. Mm. No, but you say that. But to be fair, our defence was actually really good, and I think part of that is the fact that we defended so much further up the pitch. So it's it's. Mistakes that might be made by a defender when we're a yard outside our area are so much more amplified than if it's halfway up the pitch instead. And that was the biggest difference that we've seen. Obviously, I suppose Manchester City, you're not really going to be able to get that sort of performance out of them. They're always going to force you back. But it's just nice to see us just take a game to the team and play play the game on our terms, especially when it's a team that we should be spanking. Yeah, makes sense. Um, and I think, Ash, you're right. Not only were we much higher up the pitch, but we also, we were snapping into tackles in the middle of the park. Like, we had so many really good, like, interceptions and sort of breaking up a play. And I thought, you know, Hoiberg, you expect it from him. Um, the Celso, we know he's got a bit of fat in his locker. But I, I thought Delhi did really well. And I think he got, uh, I saw the stat, he had the most ball recoveries on the pitch of any player. Um, I thought he did loads of really, really great work from number 10, kind of putting to bed the myth that he's lazy. <laughs> well, that's the thing he brings that and Dumbele doesn't bring. And obviously it was big news that Dumbele wasn't in the team again and obviously didn't get any more minutes. But yeah, Delhi, I've mentioned it quite a few times when we've spoken about him, but one of the big factors of his play was always that he would lead the press. He always, always did under Pochettino and even when he was in the few times under Jose Mourinho. And what what we've come to see from him, the bits that get highlighted, obviously the goals and the flicks and the tricks, but his work at, at pressing and winning the ball back is invaluable and was such a big part of the success we had under Pochettino. Yeah, he's got great running stats throughout his career at uh, Spurs and he's gone under the radar a little bit just because he looks like his, his body language suggests he doesn't work as hard as he actually does. And I think he ran over 10 kilometres in the game yesterday, which in a game of football is, is actually very high. And he's popping up all over the pitch. And it, 
it was good to see that, you know, he was happy to receive the ball deep. He was happy to try and have it as a kind of like a, a second striker with his back to the to the centre back. He was willing to drop deeper with uh, the other deeper lying centre backs to support them if it were needed. It was a very smart performance for him. And I know we're going to use the asterisk of, well, well it was only Sheffield, but fuck it. Let, let's revel in it. Yeah. We played well. It was good to see Delhi get an opportunity. And that was Delhi rusty. And if we can start to build him <laughs> into games as, as this, the rest of the season goes on, we, we could, he could help us finish strong. It's, it's a weird thought with Delhi that, I don't know, I feel like we've all been conned by the Amazon documentary into forgetting what he's like. <laughs> Like the Amazon documentary, those clips go viral and suddenly you, you perceive players differently. But we knew him coming through as a lad who cut his teeth in League Two as, a, as an orthodox centre mid, not as a 10, originally as an orthodox centre mid who was well known for putting his foot through and definitely getting engaged in the defensive side of the game. He ended up becoming a great 10, but he always had that, you know, he always said Stephen Gerrard was his, his icon growing up and definitely brought a bit of that all roundness to himself. I don't know. I feel like we've just sort of the, the wool has lifted from our sort of cumulative <laughs> eyes. Like we, I've remembered he's actually quite good. <laughs> I mean, you play a Madison documentary, but I blame Jose. The amount of times he's come in and just thrown Delhi under the bus for his, his attitude and his work rate. And I don't know, after a certain amount of time, when you when you start to hear it, you sort of you see it, right? Like when you have those clips of music and you, you hear what you see when the subtitles are on. It's just... Wasn't it... Um, Daddy who said it's just shit long balls and defending. Yes. <laughs> <Joe's>. <laughs> yeah. And I, I love and the fact funnily that, enough he fell out of the team. Yeah. <laughs> but also funnily enough, maybe Delhi was the smart one all yeah. along. But Delhi's right. the one sat on the sidelines like, I told you, I called this. Yeah. <laughs> I hate to be the guy to tell you so. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And now he's here like doing bits like and he was quiet, you know, he wasn't getting assists or goals or or anything like that he just quietly did a pretty effective job yesterday and he's just come off after whatever it was 70 odd minutes going hmm yeah with a little smug look in his face like Delhi's back and another we can thing still see we, a lot more from him yeah another thing that we lacked a lot in his absence and just generally recently is well two things one lack of movement which is his strongest asset like you said he was popping up all over the pitch and the timing of his runs and, and making himself available is something that we've dearly missed. And secondly, it's the speed at which he plays. So we don't seem to have anybody else in the team that's just happy just to pop it off or just quick two touches and then move the ball. Even in Ndombele, his great strength is having the ball at his feet and running. Uh, obviously, we've seen Lucas in the number 10 position. He does that a lot and just runs into defenders most of the time. <laughs> <laughs> Olomela just doing copious amounts of ball rolls. That's he's he brings that and I really want to see him recapture that form because he can be such an important such a such a crucial player to the way that Tottenham want to play in the it's been spoken about a lot recently hasn't it the, the Tottenham way whatever that means <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah I used to always take the piss out of West Ham fans when they spoke about it back in the championships but it wasn't just Delhi I I think. There was so much more movement off the ball going forward. There were so many late runs into the box. There were lots of, uh, you know, comfortable possession for periods. And then all of a sudden, quick give and goes by, you know, quick triangles in front of the centre backs, which, I mean, Sheffield kind of afford you because <laughs> the gap between their centre backs and midfield was um, copious. So 
they, they kind of played to our strengths in a lot of ways, but it was fantastic to see us starting to, to build play in that way. And ultimately, uh, I think it was Bale's first goal. Yes, we'll come on to Bale at some point. Uh, he may have been quite good. Um, sudden late run into the box. And it was it was a constant theme throughout that half that it was something that we were suddenly trying. It's all of a sudden moving off the ball creates opportunities. And <laughs> it was nice to see that general malaise that we'd had for the previous 18 months suddenly lift. And we were able to see that there was actually, there's more than one way to score a goal. Well, I'm going to take this opportunity to rip into Jose Mourinho as much as I possibly can because <laughs> he, he fucking destroyed my affection for the game. So um, he he's the kind of guy that will come out and the way he sets up his teams is he expects players to perform individual pieces of brilliance and then defend well as a team. And you can see that in the way that there is no patterns of play coached into their team in terms of their attacking. And to, for, for players who we've known to have incredible movement like Son and Delhi to essentially just not show that for 18 months when a manager comes in, the only finger you can point in that, in that situation is the manager. So to see even a, just a 29-year-old just to say, go out there, just play, just move about, get, make yourself available, try and find the space. It's just a completely transformed us. And yeah. I think that that touches on something which is quite scary in a way, which is, you know, Ryan Mason's right at the start of his his career. He hasn't actually even, I think, managed a group before he was he was heading up like the the development system in terms of how players move from the 18s to the 23s, to the first team. So he hasn't even been like an established coach. He's gone in there and he's done like almost a, a Sunday league style. Right, lads, nice and simple. Four, <laughs> two, three, one, play players in their favourite positions, you know, let's just do the simple things well. He hasn't suddenly come in and had a pre-season and with this new team because he's had eight weeks with us. This is just what happens when you sort of set up the simple parts of the team effectively and logically. You know, inverted wingers, full-backs bomb on beyond them, you know, right bounce in midfield, which we've talked which we talked about. Um, but imagine, like, at some point we're going to get in a new manager. They must be so excited to work with these talents they must be looking at the squad now thinking shit if, if this is how good they are when they they've just been allowed to actually have the ball imagine what i can do with them imagine what i can do if i have a full pre-season and i can build that that level of tactical you know uh, sort of uh, sync i guess between the players i think i think there's loads of potential from today from the game yeah and i think we saw we saw a lot of that i mean all all four goals were absolutely brilliant and even the, the Salabron from sun will turn <laughs> I don't want to speak too much about VAR, but how you can set up a line from the wrong camera angle and just call it a definitive is beyond me. Um, but yeah, like every single goal came from a brilliant piece of play and a brilliant piece of movement. And Aurier was on form with his passing and defended well. So yeah, you have to expect that a manager looking this, looking at this team, will think that they could do well in the same way that Jose told us that he was. <laughs> he had an amazing team when he came in. Um, yeah, but Tom, what did you what did you make of the goals? I don't know how many of them you can remember. They sort of just gone past which, which, me. Which was your favourite? Yeah. Um, so it's so nice that there were actually multiple goals <laughs> to ask that question about. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't know. I, I loved uh, Bale's third because Aurier was very smart to create the space for him. Bale's movement throughout was absolutely uh, phenomenal. And he was actually quite good at tracking back as well. That, that, that shouldn't go under the radar. And, you know, a little nutmeg through the, the, to the 
through the defender's legs. Love that. Love that in a goal. It's ultimate shithousery. I'm all for <laughs> that. Uh, obviously, his second, when he was running through, you know, it was very smart, the run he made. He could see what was going to happen before the defenders could react and track back. Just straight counter-attack from a corner. One-on-one. Absolutely no doubt that he was going to smash it. He even had time to look over his shoulder and, oh, where's Chris Basham? <laughs> he's, <laughs> he's somewhere on the other side of the Paxton Road. Oh, absolutely fine here. Uh, and even even the first one, it, it was just, the, the movement was fantastic. His little flick over at Ramsdale. Uh, and I was, but despite all of that, I was, Son's goal, a little curler in off the post. I love that. It's so simple, but it's so satisfying. And it was great to see him playing with confidence and a smile. And yeah, he was unlucky with the VAR. Uh, with that, his offside goal. Oh, I, I do think he was offside when you draw the lines. I'm going to, kind of go against you a bit there um but yeah i think son's goal was probably just about my favorite because i love that technique i think my mine would have been and i i, I agree with how you described all of them i think yeah bale's movement just so intelligent and it, he chooses mm. the right moments to be quick and then there's moments he yeah. always slows down he because very, he knows he can't do it yeah that I, 75 minutes exactly he, he takes he chooses his moments but I just thought for the second one when he's running through on goal, most players would like try and roll it past the keeper or maybe dink him or like side foot it, you know, keep the ball low. What player goes through and is just like <laughs> top bins, non-negotiable? <laughs> like, like he, he twats it as well. He, he, he doesn't like gently put it in. He absolutely thumps it. It's the smartness as well of creating that extra bit of space to aim at, the way he just shifts the ball to the left, mm. moves the keeper out of the mm. way and then just absolutely pummels it in. And yeah, it's just all these goals just show just how much class he's got. And we knew coming in, we spoke about it in our first few episodes about what he would bring. And we knew it would be that that deadliness in the final third. So it's no surprise that we're seeing that when he's allowed to play in the final third and isn't being (laughs) told to sit in his own half and hope that he can run forward all the time. I I think he's also a, he's a player, Bale, who as he's sort of like, gets older I think I think it's harder once you lose your your sort of your elite level physical attributes I think it's harder to impact the biggest games and you sort of you see Messi scoring loads against like the likes of Granada <laughs> and people <laughs> now but like he's you know he, he hasn't scored in eight L Clasicos because now it's that much more difficult for him to impose himself I, when Bale came in I think I said I, my guess was he'd get between 10 and 15 goals all competitions that was my guess I wouldn't have said he'd get, frankly, any against like top five opposition. I don't think Bale's the one who gives you the breakthrough against City. But having a player who is going to get you goal return against the bottom half teams, those are that's really valuable still. There's nothing wrong with being a guy who's going to... like If Bale is a player who can give you 10 league goals against your Fulhams, your Palaces, your Sheffields, like, like those lower half of the table teams, just to put them away... That's really valuable. You've got to clock up those three points. I think he's, you know, he, he, was, he was great value. And who knows, maybe he could be great value for another year, perhaps. That's it. And people might laugh at that, but we haven't had players do that. But the only people that we've had scoring for us is Kane and Son. No one else has been stepping up. So, yeah, you're absolutely right. So, do you keep him from the next year, Jules? Oh, I'm... Depends on a manager, surely. Mm. Uh, yeah, I, I would... I would say it's the choice of the new manager 
because I don't think you can justify it unless you think you're going to regularly play him. It's it's too you can't spend two hundred grand a week of your wage budget to have a guy who you're going to bring on who's going to get I don't know five league starts. Like you're either committing to giving him a more substantial role or let him go back and use the money elsewhere. You know, two hundred grand a year. You know, it, it does add up. Well, Tom, you say it depends on the manager, but all looking at the reports is that we're looking for an attack-minded, forward-thinking manager. Hopefully, we'll be seeing us play with the ball in your position for um, half a lot more than we have seen so far. So if we have that type of manager, is that a yes then? Yeah, I'd say so. But if they had their eyes on a certain player, I really want to bring in uh, another marquee attacking player, then might have to put your eggs in that basket instead uh i know there was rumors about when when the sari rumors were coming around which i don't think he's going to happen no. he's going to go to roma isn't he um they were saying that if he did come to spurs he'd bring dabala with him from juventus that old chestnut and you think well yeah, yeah. if you're going to put your money into that level of signing you can't then sign bail particularly because we also need we need another center back we need another midfield and obviously we can offset some money by players that we sell, but is there actually any value in Suzuka? I mean, we talked about in the last pod selling him for parts, which uh, is <laughs> the ice, not a good the aspiration ice, to have. The ice bath is ready and waiting. <laughs> now, now we need a chloroform. But I think what you have to remember is that although he can't run as much as he did, he's still very clearly world class in his movements and his finishing. Yes, he's a confident player, but. Like Jules said, there's so much value in someone who can give you 10 to 15 goals a season. And even if it's not necessarily in the big games, it takes the pressure off Kane and Son. And all too often we've been too reliant on them. And if they don't turn up, we don't get a result. And we don't have to necessarily worry about that anymore. And it was, it was quite a good point that um, we football made on a Twitter at Cock and Ball pod, I think. <laughs> is that what it is? I should know. Uh, since 2012, Baylor scored more goals than Lamella. And for seven years, Bale was at Madrid. Bear in mind, Lamella was signed to replace him. And it just kind of shows that the sorts of other squad players who should be coming in and picking up, you know, whether it's like five to 15 goals, whoever you want to do it. Um, we haven't really had that. We've been relying on two goal machines. Um, another million dollar question that I'd quite like to ask from Twitter Um Something from Aaron Kemp, he said the game showed exactly what was wrong under Jose, which we've touched on. He's absolutely right. Um, in that game, what do you think the scoreline would have been if Mourinho was still the manager? I probably would have said one all. Yeah, yeah, it's hard to argue otherwise. We would have, because Sheffield, they're not great, but they do try and attack. So Yeah, they try hard. So, which means that we would have sat deep and tried, hopefully, to get a good ball through to Kane or to Son and hope, hope for the best. So it wouldn't have been it wouldn't have been a classic it wouldn't have been a game that any of us enjoyed watching. I think even even though if if Mourinho had somehow got like a a two or a three nil win in that fixture if he was you know hypothetical world he's still in charge they would have had chances and they didn't really have a sniff because they never got into our half and we had the ball so they didn't have the opportunity to actually do anything and that's like. If I was the manager, I'd be thinking, well, the performance there has dictated the fact that we're going to win that nine times out of ten. Whereas the way Jose played, it always left it a bit more up to, you know, the intangibles in the words of Jim, well, um, <laughs> which makes it difficult. 
Yeah, not a big difference between the way we're playing now and the way we played under Jose as well is under Jose we seem to we wanted to score with every pass, so it meant we tried to get the ball as quickly as possible and hope something would happen, which often meant that we found ourselves with the ball out wide without a, a, an option and we just either cross it and hope or just end up losing the ball. Whereas what we saw now with Masons, we're far happier to recycle it and we've got the players on the pitch more capable of doing so. So your Lachelso and your Delis, they're, they're great at doing that kind of thing. So having that change is what's allowing us to have the sustained attacks that we never saw in any game under Jose Mourinho. Um, and what do you think, one, the only negative for me, which which came out of the game, um, aside from um, the side of Lacelso's face, um, <laughs> Fen, what, what do you think this may, this means rather for Tongi and Dombele? Um, is this, you know, is there a deeper thing here? Or is this maybe just that the manager, you know, Ryan Mason maybe has come in, he's taken a bit of a shine to Lacelso, he's decided, look, you're going to have to sit on the bench. I may have seven games, I like this guy. Um, but, but, but what does that mean for, for Tongi? Uh, yeah, it's, it's difficult because uh, Tongi essentially got into the squad because Chelsea was constantly injured. He always seemed to be one to two weeks away and then one to two weeks would pass and he would still be one to two weeks away. It's like trying to get an estimate out of a builder, isn't it? It's incredibly hard to pin him down. Um so he, he was uh, going to find it difficult when the Chelsea come knocking on the door again. And we, we know the talent that the Chelsea has. He's probably, obviously, aside from Andombele, the best ball player we have, which is what we really missed um, under the, the sort of Jose star. And it suits the, in inverted commas, Tottenham way to have ball players who are comfortable on the ball, willing to, to play quick passes or, you know, those really smart passes and have a real range to them, be able to sort of spray it put it through whatever, which I think Tangi can do as well, but he obviously thinks the Chelsea can do it better. But there were a few times in that game where, I mean, Aidan Cresswell said to us on Twitter, he wants on popular opinions tonight. People are raving about the Chelsea. I think he's been, he's tried to do a lot of good things, which I appreciate, but there were a lot of occasions where he sloppily gives the ball away. He did it at least a couple of times against Sheffield. Uh, and he, maybe it was because somebody stood in his head. So I'll allow him, I'll allow him mild concussions if they were what was what causing him to lose the ball. But there were times where had we played someone better, someone who wasn't relying on David McGoldrick as their top scorer, then we could have been in, in a bit of bother. But, you know, it's, does Ndombele also have that risk to him because he's such a high risk player? He relies on his insane skill to get him out of trouble which is, is, is a different way of playing to the Chelsea. So it's, you know, risk reward, which one would be better? Because I don't, I can't see him playing both because it, it's quite a balanced thing with Hoybeer as, as your sweeper and your ball winner. He can just pass it side to side. There's no point putting in <laughs> how he winks into that setup because he's just going to copy Hoybeer, uh, <laughs> which is <laughs> it's not what we need. It's like, he's like playing with 10 men. So yeah, yeah that- to, to not answer your question... I, it's tougher in Dombele, but I think he's now got a mentality to probably deal with it a bit better and hopefully he starts knocking on the door. But I would like to see him get more opportunity. Don't bring Winks on at fucking 3 4 0 up. Bring Dombele on. Yeah, I don't think it means too much for him. He's in a very different situation now than when he first came in. He's, you know, he's settled in the country and he's sort of obviously got friends and understands people around the club when obviously he must have felt very different when he was 
very new to the, the team. But I think it comes down to the fact when you are a brand new manager coming into a team in the state that we were in, you want to take as few risks as you can. And and Dombele, as great as he can be, he is a he's a risky player to have on the pitch. He like you like you said, some he relies on being able to beat a man and to um, and to find the pass after after a run. And that's not necessarily what we need right now. We need some stability. We need to have somebody in the in the midfield who can help us progress the ball forward and and keep it and recycle it, which is what Chelsea does. That's his bread and butter. Yeah, it's it's an interesting thought, and I take your take both your sort of points on board. My my unpopular uh, opinion, coming back to the to our, <laughs> our listener question, um, I I would be putting in Dombele front and centre of this team as the holding midfielder. Um, I think it's a complete misunderstanding of him to think that he's a 10 um mm. you know he made his well he, he sort of got headlines and had Juventus and Barcelona etc looking at him as a remarkably gifted holding midfielder because he could take the ball in such tight tight spaces so for me he's he's not you know he's not that player and I think Mourinho just has made us think of him like that because Mourinho refused to to trust you know the idea the idea of passing it short is alien to him right so what's the point in having yeah. it there if you're if you're going to do it um he doesn't but, like possession so what's the point of giving exactly. a fantastic player on possession the ball exactly exactly but uh, what I also think is the biggest clubs and the biggest managers in the world would not be worried about having competition for places between these guys like Pep doesn't seem to mind putting Bernardo Silva on the bench if Ndombele has to fight for form to get on with the Celso, that's only a good thing um, in terms of their, their individual performances. Um, and ultimately, I think next year, if, if we have a similar squad, which I think is likely given, you know, it's going to be hard to get that that turnover of player. Um, in a big game, if you could play the Celso up wide on the right, so he's cutting in, and you put Ndombele into the middle, but otherwise that, that lineup stays the same, I think that'd be a really effective system um because you know Delhi's going to run beyond the front man you know Son's going to sort of hold the touch line I think there'll be space for for Celso to cut in on um so no, maybe, drops deep and offers as well exactly exactly yeah. so maybe it's one of those things where you know it, it's 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 a good thing you know we need 16 to 18 very good players not to be worried about just the starting 11 yeah, that's it. And if we want to be a quote unquote European super team, then <laughs> never we... say that. Never say that. <laughs> never use the word super. Yeah, that, that word has been scrubbed from the dictionary. Don't know what it means, mate. Well, we either way, we're going to need those rotation options. And speaking of European, there are some places still to fight for in the league. With was it four games left? And I, I mean, top four is it is possible. Highly, highly unlikely. European, I mean, the, the Europa League, that's probably a more realistic target, right, Jules? Yeah. I'd, I'd say so. And I think we, if we could finish fifth or sixth um, and get in the Europa League again, I think that would be a good result, given everything that's gone on this season. Um, I think the worry for me in finishing seventh, which we're currently safe, but it's it's going to be close, <laughs> um, is that it's the third tier Europe. European competition mm. and at that point the money you get for being in it is so little that actually I think you'd rather just have the training time so because it's I don't know Fen if you've sort of looked into this much but basically it's the weakest ranked 
coefficient nations. So instead of going to play like the weaker teams in, you know, maybe your Greece's or whatever, you're going to be going to really far away countries. <laughs> well, you still those get flights. it's like the cup when it's cup in it in its mm. old form, but mm. we've chosen to use the League Cup as our cup <laughs> winning cup for that. Yeah. I think the FA Cup would would drop you into the uh, Europa League. Um, so so there is the chance of um, playing you know Spanish teams, French teams, mm. uh, but obviously if it's if their routes to the Champions League and Europa League are more favourable, then it's going to drop down to lesser league positions, as we've seen in England, you know, seventh place suddenly winning you a European competition. So it will be interesting. It will essentially be like, do you remember those knockout rounds we did, the qualifying rounds that for the Europa League at the start of this season, which are on Premier Sports, so no one could fucking watch it, <laughs> which reminded me that I think I need to cancel that subscription. Um, it will essentially be that throughout the season. Um, you know, against your sort of Maccabee hypers and that kind of level of, of play. So, in a sense, it could be good opportunity for squad rotation, uh, and it 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 would be very winnable, which is nice because we need trophies, mm, trophies, <laughs> and we won the, the inaugural UEFA Cup, so we could win the inaugural uh, Conference Cup League, whatever they want to call it. That could be tasty. But I take your point. If it's if the merits of either winning it or, you know, the small amount of uh, winning payments that you get out of it are offset against how it might affect your league form. You might as well not bother. Mm. Um, and and it, that, for me, is actually an incentive to actually, you know, I, I appreciate Champions League is probably beyond beyond the realms of uh, realism, if I'm frank. Uh, you're relying on other results, which I can't see happening. Um so we need to actually be pushing to to make sure we get fifth or sixth to make sure we're actually in a in a very competitive tournament, uh, which actually has financial benefits. It's gonna yeah. be it's gonna be a really weird gunfight because it's us, West Ham, and Liverpool, and it's like we're we're bringing like I don't know a misfiring sort of like revolver to the fight. <laughs> Liverpool have rocked up with a tank and have nearly taken their hand <laughs> off trying to set it up. <laughs> and then the hammers have turned up with just a hammer. Because <laughs> the other two are fucking around trying to reload their guns. The hammer's being really effective. It's, it, it's a weird scrap we're in the middle of, but four games to go. Um, what do you think, Ash? Are we going to sneak into fifth or sixth? I just want to finish up West Ham because... <laughs> my motto in life has been it could be worse you could be a West Ham fan <laughs> that needs to stick straight for me otherwise I don't know what I've got <laughs> so, yeah um, but they need their DVD season don't they they haven't had yeah. one in a very long time no they'll make those t-shirts again about when they beat us a few times didn't they um, now, I'll, <laughs> yeah I think we can we've got we've got Leeds next which we'll come on to later which would be a real test Wolves who look shocking I think they've just drawn 1-1 with West Brom, who they don't look great, so we should be doing them. And then was it Leicester on the last day? That's a massive game, isn't it? That's yeah. a huge game. That's what it will come down to. Yeah. The, and, by, and on the flip side, as we record right now, the Hammers are nil-nil with Burnley. Come on, Burnley. Chris Wood, do me a solid. <laughs> Pat um, Claret and Blues. Uh, but they, you, you just asked Wood to, give, to get you a solid. oh touche motherfucker touche um but after that they've got uh everton brighton west brom southampton 
So I hate to say it, I think they've got quite a nice run in. Because once they get past Everton, Brighton, West Brom and Southampton are looking shaky. <laughs> it's, it's just going to bed me. <laughs> oh my God, called it live on air. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> oh, things you up. love to hear. <laughs> Fantastic. And I, I can actually rely on a Sean Dyche team to just sit on a penalty and go, lovely, happy day. So I'm all for that. A West Ham fan said to me, uh, a couple of months ago, I think I said it on the pod, that looking at their tough run of fixtures that they've sort of gone through in the last four to six weeks, he couldn't see them maintaining it. Fucking frustratingly, they've just managed to pick up quite a few good results. Uh, so it's, it's a real shame, isn't it? Um, it's almost like they... Well, the thing is, they're not detrimented by not having any fans because they can't normally see them at the best of times anyway. <laughs> so they're most accustomed to this sort of... Yeah, them and Arsenal, though. It's not. It's had a different effect on Arsenal. <laughs> I'm glad that's happening. So, One final point on the, the Sheffield game that we haven't looked back on mm. was uh, the Le Celso stamp yeah. <laughs> on Le Celso. I mean, I've, I've, there is no sport where that is legal. <laughs> I don't, I don't think there's any sport in the world <laughs> unless it's a head stamping sport. <laughs> yeah, I mean, just. How the referee, I think they said in on match of the day, it's the same guy in VAR that yeah. sent Balbuena. Was it Balbuena? Mm, after yes. After yeah. literally did was clear the ball and then caught, was it Mount in the follow through? It's the same the, uh, the same referee who, or VAR official who sent the referee to watch that and he didn't even tell the game, the match official then to look at it on the screen. I, what, what was it? I, I don't know. Does he hate Latinos as well? <laughs> yeah, maybe he had Sunes in his ear, which uh, <laughs> would explain a lot. But yeah, it's hard. It's like the Valbiena thing happened and he went, oh, fucking hell, I probably got that wrong. Didn't really read the room. Uh, need to keep my head down. Uh, I just need to uh, avoid avoid stuff. I need to avoid the next crisis. And then the next crisis came and he, he's continued to avoid it. I'm not doing anything about it. Um, just stuck with the on-field decision because he's clearly incapable of making his own. But all he had to do was just go, have a word. And there was nothing <laughs> funny. I mean, I feel sorry. It's not funny because Le Chelsea is uh, in yeah. pieces on the bench. But that's that clip at the end of the, the world's like, an ice bag as big as Le Chelsea's <laughs> face. Just sellotape. Like, how obvious do you need to make it? You do not need that much ice no. to nurse that wound. I, I just love the fact, when I saw the ice pack, I just thought your ear must be so cold. Like, like, <laughs> like, I, I know it's really random, but I was just like, of all the areas of your body to like have an ice pack on, like, like I've had an ice pack on my ankle after getting a nasty tackle, but having it just like strapped to your face would actually be just so uncomfortable. <laughs> Imagine the level of brain freeze you would have got. <laughs> Honestly. Yeah, but in your ear. Imagine cold water running into oh. your ear. But then you can't get rid of it because it's an ice pack sellotape to your yeah. face. And you're doing it as a principle as well, just to make a point. You can't take it off. <laughs> the TV screens to be shown. He looks, yeah. a bit, he looks a bit to me like, you know when dogs um, have to have the operation uh, so they get spayed? And they have cone to wear those shame. cones and they have the cone of shame. He looked a bit sort of mournful. Like he kept on looking over at the ref like the ref was the surgeon. It's like, what did you do to me? <laughs> it yeah, so it was bad. Surely they come back and and give Fleck a suspension because he, not only does he stamp down when he could clearly avoid him, but he looks at him before he does so as well. It's just so so great, and there's, there's just no space for it in any any sport. It's ridiculous. Hmm. Agreed. 
Anyway, the uh, the task goes on in the search of a, a manager at Spurs. Um, I think since we last covered this last week, I think we dealt with Nogsman last week. We knew it was going to Bayern. Uh, we had, you know, do we go for Ten Hag or Eleven Hag? <laughs> he's now signed a contract extension at Ajax. Uh, whether that means he's out the running, not necessarily, but it's highly unlikely. Uh, a lot of the paper talk now is sort of talking about uh, Brendan Rodgers, who has publicly said he doesn't want the job. Uh, oh well, we'll just offer him more <laughs> money then. Um, That's like <laughs> Yeah, I don't think we have that appeal anymore. Um, Probably uh, Ranić is the, is the other big name, um, but I don't know if you guys have got any preferences, any potentially unpopular opinions on the on a next manager who will play at a inadverted commas Tottenham way. Yeah, I mean we I don't think we'll get a big name in. I don't think there's any available. I don't think it's because Tottenham aren't attractive. I think we are still one of the most attractive clubs um, that a manager can go to. We might not have the financial resources at the moment, but our squad is is full of potential. And we might not have the money this season, but over, over seasons to come, I'm, I'm sure it will be there. But, I mean, you mentioned those names, but most recently it seems to be Potter from Brighton that's coming up a lot. And is that, is that position where I really want to see what he can do at a bigger club? I'm just not sure if I want that risk to be taken at my club. <laughs> I don't want to be the experiment. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Go to Everton, go to the Northern Branch of Spurs and do it there. <laughs> but I don't think that's going to happen either. I, th- I think uh, Potter is the the sensible choice because he plays, he's clearly a, a good and well-respected coach. He understands how to work and develop players. I think you look at the kind of players that, that Brighton have and I feel like the way he's kind of developed, like Ben Ben White and um, who's their, their young right back or, or wing back? Lamptey. Yeah, he's he's great and he's been really effective how he does that. And he, you, I think you look at Brighton, you go, if they have better players, they like, or rather, if they just have better strikers, they they would be a real threat. Like the the reason that guy they, Welbs. Yeah, well, <laughs> but like honestly, look at the amount of chances that like Trossard and Mope have missed this year. Like if they if he had good forwards, yeah, like I mean, you, you look at how he gets gets the, the build-up play right and the tactical solidity. Like, no one likes playing them. So I think Potter's, like, a sensible choice. He's he's like the Vauxhall Corsa. He's, he's, he's fine. He'll do the job. It's a smart decision. You know, every car website will give you give him a nice, good rating. You know, he's, he's that. King Ranyek, to buy it. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> but, but Ranyek is... He would be the amazing option. Um... I think you look at him in terms of, for me, it's, it's three things. One, his his history as a as a coach um, and who he's influenced, like Nagelsmann, Klopp, uh, Hassan Hotel and Tuchel have all spoken about how he's played a big role in how they view Gagan pressing in particular, but sort of tactical instruction. Um, he headed up and kind of worked not just in the the coaching role, but also in the the broader management setup at Red Bull. And you look at who they've brought through and, you know, the buying of young, talented, young, talented players and selling them on a big, big profit. He's a great fit in that respect because he would get the economic model that we probably need to to adhere to. And the final sort of winner for me, um, he was very, very strongly linked with AC Milan, which actually might have more context on um, from your your nationality. But <laughs> racially profiling. <laughs> <laughs> 
He's Italian. You're Italian. Um, <laughs> it was fine <laughs> until you did that, Jules. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, Jim can edit that out. Um, <laughs> no, I think I think the yeah Milan were looking at him uh, until Stefan Pioli started doing a really exceptional job, and they said he essentially became unsackable. So that's also like the final winning factor for me is that a club which is also thinking quite a smart way about how they build themselves up to a similar level that Tottenham want to want to play at. They looked at him and thought he was the number one option um, as this kind of hybrid director of football meets coach. So for me, Potter, I, I wouldn't be disappointed if it was Potter, um, but I'd love I'd love us to try and tempt Ranić and see if we can make it happen. I don't think there's any tempted needing. I think we can get him. Easy. There won't okay. be an issue. He's interested. It's yeah, really that's what I mean. He's he's like, makes the right decision. Please don't say easy. <laughs> well, <laughs> I mean, if we want him and we and we act now, we could we could get him. Bring him, him in like, now. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's, it's not, not, it's not in work. No, it's not out of our price range. I don't think his his wage would be a massive issue. It's just whether whether Levy wants him and whether he acts quickly enough. I think that's the biggest concern is that Levy has shown uh, in recent years, <laughs> particularly <laughs> recently, that he's uh, he's not very good at actually making football decisions, despite being a, a fantastic businessman. And he talked earlier, Jules, about Spurs being an, an attractive club. And <laughs> I'd like to point out that Spurs are potentially an attractive club to new owners, uh, if anyone's interested. And it, it's quite... Um, it's a very apt point in football at the moment. I'd quite like to come on to. Obviously, this weekend we've seen uh, the Man United and Liverpool game postponed because about a thousand people protested, but you know, a hundred or so got into the ground uh, and managed to to stop the game happening. Um, I'm all for a protest, but obviously not in favour of uh, trespass, criminal damage, or assaulting police officers. Uh, so, so we've got to draw a line somewhere. Uh, it's something Brian on Twitter. Uh, said to us as well to to remind everyone that there is actually a protest for for Spurs on the 15th of May. And, uh, Twitter have really struggled to pin down the date. It's quite funny. About a third of Twitter say the 15th, another third say the 16th. I think the other third are probably undecided. Uh, uh, there's a few obviously Twitter virgins going around trying to get Jose back, but, but <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's obviously quite a pressing issue, and it's yeah. yeah you know, the support trusts have said a lot about it uh, very recently. Uh, they've been very, you know, outspoken, but rightfully so. Uh, I would have to agree with them. But, you know, what what are we exactly protesting for and, and what is the right outcome for what we want as a club? And I don't know about you, Jules, but, but what do we want as fans of Tottenham Hotspur to get out of this sort of movement? I think greater fan representation in in some respect is is the key we don't really have that right now and i think levy's kind of stock answer is that well he's a fan so yeah. he he knows how we feel and i'm like yeah but you also own 27.5 percent of the club i think it is so you you've got a slightly <laughs> different perspective um than the rest of us do um no i think i think greater fan representation would be be one thing and then i think you know we want to recognize what Tottenham means to to the local community and to the fans, and I don't think it is having a cheese room. <laughs> well, I think the, the effect it will have on Daniel Levy is is quite small, just because he's a stubborn git, isn't he? Um, <laughs> and he is quite small. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> but we might 
you might see little gestures like freezing um, season ticket prices, which is just a nice little gesture, I suppose. But they're still one of the highest in the leagues as it is, so it doesn't really matter. Yeah, I mean, it was a big issue years ago, wasn't it? Exactly. But I think that the biggest point is that it gets, hopefully it'll get the government watching as well. And we have... Government's always watching. (laughs) Well, we're we're supposed to hopefully have this fan-led review being pushed forward which needs to happen because this game is broken. <laughs> my my fear is that it's too far broken to to bring back from what it is. Um, how how do we wrestle a um, how do we wrestle our game back from the hands of billionaires and oil rich countries essentially when we don't have the resources to do so? It's, it's it's difficult, but something needs to change. We we need to be in a position where fans are listened to because it can't continue as it is we, we're losing we're losing the sport that we all love I think I'm a bit more positive than that I think change is coming it will require legislative change um, whether it's within the game or within the actual you know, laws of England and Wales then so be it that might it might have to happen but we're starting to see now you know Project Big Picture was brushed out of the way. The Super League is gone. Although it wasn't right, fans were able to stop a, a Premier League fixture from happening. That, that's how strongly they, they feel about this. Uh, and it's going to come a point where, yeah, even as a board, you're going to look up to the owners and say, well, this PR stunt that you've done, or to, to give it some sort of exclusive um, tournament where we're exclusively getting all of the money, it's absolutely backfired. It's the worst calls that owners mm. of football clubs uh, have made uh, in committing to the Super League. It's it's so anti the principles of competition and meritocracy. It's you know we did a whole podcast about it just sort of in that interim period where up between before it being announced and then disappearing very swiftly. So very clearly we do have power. But what what I'm a little bit question, questionable about particularly for Tottenham protests, is it's all very well and good being Levy out, Enoch out. I'm all for fan representations on boards. I think that's very achievable. That's the 50 plus one model that that we see in Germany. But the supporters trust have put it very well. And I don't like to recommend other podcasts because it's not really how this works. (laughs) In fairness to the Fighting Cock, there's a podcast that a lot of people have heard of. They had two of the guys from the Supporters Trust on. I don't know if you guys listen to it, but it's a fantastic listener, Kat and uh, Martin, I think, from the Supporters Trust, who are, who are very eloquent and very passionate. They speak very well about the matter. They obviously liaise directly with Mr. Levy on a very frequent basis. And in fairness to them, now refuse to, which is absolutely the right thing to do. But they, just, they sort of warned about, if you're Enoch out, owners can't just walk away. You can't just have this ownership vacuum. There needs to be a buyer to come in. Do you sell your soul if some big, rich, you know, oil-rich Saudi prince comes in? Is that the vacuum? That is that how you want to fill the vacuum? Mm. So we, I think we have to be quite careful about. We can be Enoch out, or you know, we can ask for Levy to take a step back from the board, put uh, someone else in charge with fan representation on the board, which is what the supporters trust are calling for. But it's not as easy as just going get the owners out, because then what? Mm. And who else comes in? I think that's that's a really valid point, and I think a lot of Newcastle fans would probably feel that yes, they are yes, they hate Ashley, 
that Ashley's been saying he'll sell for the best part of a decade now. And I don't want to come on a podcast and tell him. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, different Ash, thank you. Um, but no, I think I, th- I think you make a very good point, which is that that at the end of the day, the the ownership of a football club nowadays, it's like a dr- it's a pipe dream to think it's going to be a fan who ha- happens to have all this money. Somehow Arsenal seem to have the Spotify uh, founder linked with them, which is fucking infuriating if that happens. Um, but, but that's a different story. But the re- the realistic output is clubs are now going to be owned by either businesses or by you know incredibly wealthy individuals or families. What I would like to see is a sort of a level of protection between what they can do with the club and to make sure that the club still retains what it means. And that's for me fan representation. And it's Daniel Levy having to step away from the footballing decisions and being a purely commercial role. Yeah. That's I think it. I think I think those are the two cruxes mm. for me. Yeah, because we have we have been run fantastically well as a business under Enoch. There is no yeah. denying that. And like you said, what we need is fan presentation on the board so that we are part of the football making decisions because that's what we know, that's what we love, that's what we dedicate most of our lives to. Um, but we yeah we we can't just ask them to step out if it wasn't for them. We easily could have become Leeds or, or you know, Charlton, not Sunderland, even worse. Exactly. So you've got to be careful what you wish for. Spe- speaking of Leeds, they're up next. I'm expecting a, a serious challenge from them and I'm, I'm not looking forward to it. Tom, what do you expect to see out of the game? Not a serious challenge, believe it or not. I mean, this is a podcast of unpopular opinions, after all. Um, <laughs> they're, they're in quite a bad run of form at the moment they can't seem to to pick it back up again I think I think Rodrigo's still out I don't know if he'll be back in time for the weekends but you know it's they're the sort of just because of where they are in their development at the moment if they, they miss a key player it really tells you know without Bamford you, you, I wouldn't know where they'd be um, so they've secured mid-table mediocrity they're essentially at what we will call the the palace stage of the season <laughs> where their work is done they've hit the magic 40 point total they know they're going to be comfortably somewhere between I don't know ninth and 13th so they're essentially playing for pride but as soon as they start to lose a couple of key players that they're, they're not so hot and you kind of get that Bielsa burnout stage of the season it's a bit of a cliche but there is an element of truth in it our quality will show it should be a good game it should be an open game but I think we'll still win it Jules I agree with Tom on everything he said I think it will I I, well not 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 a disagreement but an additional layer I think this is maybe the biggest test and the most interesting test we'll see of Ryan Mason as a tactician, because Bielsa, you know what he brings to the table is this encyclopedic knowledge and sort of uh, understanding of football conceptually. He, he and his staff watch every single fucking game out there, <laughs> record it, go back over it. They understand the past in the bushes and training ground, <laughs> all the classics, all the classics. Um, but, but yeah, I think, you know, you know that Bielsa is going to come with a very specific approach for how he's going to take on Tottenham. How does Ryan Mason deal with it? 
Um, because I think you could, you know, if he just goes out and plays the same 11, there is a, an easy answer there. He just says, well, we just won 4-0. You know, why would I change it? On the other hand, Leeds are a different kettle of fish to, um, you know, to Sheffield. So for me, I'm, I, I agree. I think we'll win. But what I'm most interested to see is do we win just by having better players or does Mason show that he's got some potential as a coach? Because we haven't really given him any any <laughs> prospects yet of, of staying in the job, which some would say is is unfair. I don't know. Maybe if you if you think that's the case, then write in, let us know. Um but <laughs> I, I think it's a, it's gonna be an interesting one to see, yeah, where where he's at in terms of his tactical development. Yeah, well at least to me are a bit like my local kebab shop. <laughs> <laughs> I go in thinking that I know exactly what to expect, but you know and it comes out, I ordered the donor, I get the donor. Sometimes it's great and it absolutely blows me away. And other times it's just a bit underwhelming. So, <laughs> <laughs> and then you're shitting I, for days. Yeah. <laughs> Ash, can I just interrupt one sec? You, so you're telling me you've had an average donor? Have you not? Have all, you had a donor, good all, donor? donors in, all donors, in my view, are either amazing because they hit the spot and you're a bit drunk, or they're awful because you're sober. And there's no in between. I've never, I've never had an average donor. It's either um, fucking fantastic or it's awful. I'm, a, I'm, I'm a fan of an average donor. I'm a fan of a Stuart Dallas. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I love Stuart Dallas. He's so durable as a player. He's fantastic. He, he looks like uh, he shouldn't be anything. You know, it's. I, I don't want to rubbish Northern Ireland's national team too much, but you think well. You know, this is his standard here. He was such a staple in the championship, where he and he, he's taken a step up, and everyone's just gone, "Fucking hell, he can play anywhere." <laughs> Put him in goal, right? he's absolutely fine. He'll just pop out and he'll, he'll chip in with goals from central midfield. He can fill in at fullback. He's he's a great dynamic player. I love to watch him because I watch a lot of Leeds. Um, so he's he's the sort of player where he, he is actually. The passing lanes to him need to be cut off as well as some of the other more obvious players that they are. Rafina. Yeah, I mean he's the chicken sheesh in this Leeds kebab shop, isn't he? Like you know, good, good actual bit of quality meat, uh, probably in some sort of wrap, smothered in chili and garlic sauce. Sounds delightful. Yeah. What would and what does that make Bamford? He's the pit that that everything's put on, isn't he? <laughs> Well, the quite plain, dull thing, but you can't really work without him. Exactly, it's absolutely <laughs> vital. <laughs> Bring it all home. Can I just note, sorry, sorry, Patrick Bamford for the absolute character assassination there, because he was he was quite good value on the Peter Crouch podcast. If you haven't listened to that, so yeah. I've, I've just dug him out. That's an absolute compliment, if you ask me. I didn't see anything wrong with that. He's but, also just a really interesting bloke. I mean, he's, you know, he's posh. He's privately educated, which you don't really see in the game. He turned down Harvard to become a professional footballer, <laughs> which is absolutely bizarre. And he speaks very eloquently. He came out the other week, didn't he? And I know Troy Deeney was very grateful. It's great to see, as Troy Deeney put it, middle class people just going, yeah, I mean, you can social, you can do social media boycotts, but what are we going to do about racism, eh, hey, lads? <laughs> it, was, it was very refreshing to, to see him say things like that. So I do like him. And in, I, I did rubbish him at the start of the season. I thought he ain't going to make a step up. He can't be a Premier League striker. And I'll throw my hands up and go, yeah, fair enough. He's got, what, 10 to 15 goals or something, which yeah. is a very good return for a mid-table team. 
Speaking so, of goals, do you expect them to score? What, what do you think the scoreline will be? I think they could score, which is a fantastic insight. But I still think we'll win. <laughs> so it's that it's a, a, it's out of the road, isn't it? Yeah, I believe so. Pretty sure it is. I think we played them at home. One of the few Jose games we've won this season. Um, two one. Ah, oh, stealing from me. Uh, I'll go three two to us. I think we'll win three one, but their goal will come sort of late and be a bit of a consolation. Bold. We're all going for wins because last last week we were also despondent from the cup final that we'll go ah it's going to be a bloody one all against Sheffield uh, but I think we've we've forgotten that Mason's got us playing a certain way and City are City we need to respect that just move on it happened they're very good um, probably but the best team of a generation but yeah we've got you know we're playing hashtag the Tottenham way still hasn't been defined but you know well done everyone for getting behind it um if we carry on like this with this positive run that we've had, you know, actually building on, like we look better than we did against Southampton, you know, with every game, Mason's ideas get across and it gets more fluid. So surely we can only get a little bit more positive with every game we come across. Coys, coys, coys. Yeah. And on that uh, cheery, cheery note, let's call it a day. We'll see you next time. <laughs>